Welcome to the Huntback Country Podcast. This is episode number 261. To give you guys an idea of some behind the scenes, I was working yesterday on editing the podcast to release for today, and it crashed on me after editing, not once, but twice. And I almost didn't get a podcast out today, but I already had a conversation scheduled to record a podcast today that I wasn't planning on airing until a later date. And as it turns out, I thought, well, this is perfect. The podcast I just recorded this morning, I'll just go ahead and hit publish on that. The guest today is Steve Evans. We had a fun conversation that honestly is covers everything. It's all over the place in terms of talking about gear and lessons and mindset and hunting out of state and hunting deer and hunting elk and gear and just all over the place. An interesting thing about Steve is that he started big game hunting two years ago but he already has 150 plus days in the field chasing big game in multiple states. So it's like this unique combination of taking a beginner to backcountry hunting and throwing them into an accelerated learning experience by spending so much time in the field. Steve has filled tags, as I said, in multiple states. And I was really curious to hear about his combination of being a beginner yet gaining experience quickly and what we could pull from that. So everything that we talk about with Steve is in that context. And this, as I said, is a wide ranging conversation that I'm sure you can pull from. If you wanna get in contact with Steve or check out some of his hunts, there is a description to his Instagram profile, which you'll hear about in the show. And you can check that out in the show description and hit that link. As always, guys, we thank you for tuning in. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback for us, just send us an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com and hope to talk to you soon. Here's this conversation with Steve Evans. Well, Steve, welcome to the Hunt Backcountry Podcast, man. I'm excited to chat today. Me too, dude. I look forward to talking about hunting any chance I get, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> nice, man. Well, we, uh, yeah, this will be a fun one. I feel like just kind of getting to sit down with a new friend and have a conversation. We just connected online. I had seen uh, you using our pack and then kind of saw some of your stuff. And you've been out in the field a ton. And then I saw somewhere that you actually just recently started hunting. And I'm like, man, this guy recently started hunting, yet he's out there like getting it done, multiple states, crazy long season. So I was like super intrigued to hear uh, more of your story. But I guess just to kick things off, man, give us like some background context for who you are, where you're coming from. Okay. Uh, yeah. I, um, I live in California um, and I pipe weld for a living. Yeah. I mean, I pretty much that's my background. I've always hunted, um, since I was young, I always hunted. My dad was a big hunter and stuff. And then, um, but as I got older, I mostly started waterfowl hunting. Um, and then just recently in 2018, um, my buddies took me to Montana for, well, an elk hunt and a deer hunt. And I ended up killing my first buck in 2018. Mm -hmm. And it was just a downward spiral from there, dude. Um, it was just, I mean, I got go hunt and onyx and I was just researching how to align as many hunts as I could with the season dates. Yeah. And yeah, it was just, I, I went all in pretty much like whatever, everything 
couple I do. Um, and I've loved it. Like it's, it is definitely like my thing now. That's cool. So you had a hunting background, but more on like waterfall side, just not big game stuff. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Mostly big game. I had done some predator hunting and stuff. Um, I mean, sorry, mostly waterfowl. I've done some predator hunting. I've like, I've always had a gun in my hand. I just never chased big game for some reason, probably because I was working so much. Mm -hmm. Um, I only had like the one month I would take all my vacation in one month and I would duck hunt with it. That's what I used to do. Well, I'm curious to hear, I mean, we'll, we'll get into this more, but since you brought up work and time, like you've been in the field a ton, I think you said like 150 plus days in the last, you know, between, I think guess this fall and last fall, um, you mentioned being a pipe welder, obviously you have some sort of like flexibility then with, do you just like bulk a ton of hours in the off season and take a ton of time off or like, how do you manage that? Cause that's something that comes up over and over again with our audience and I'm always curious about and I see these guys hitting state after state through the fall it's like how the heck do you pull that off so for you what does that look like from a time perspective right so I I do have an employer um (laughs) and well what I basically worked like that's all I did was work for 10 years right so I um I had a bunch of vacation banked um which I could roll over from several years Um, and then when I saw, when I started big game hunting, um, I, I had all this vacation banked pretty much. Right. And then, so I would just put in for it and it really works out because our busy time of the year is in, um, the summer and then our slow times in the winter. So that kind of worked out. So it wasn't really a huge issue with leaving work. I had the time to do it. Um, it's just more of like, a do they need me at work type of thing? Yeah. And then, and then I have a cool boss too. So I would just align things like just, I don't know, like a holiday, like two holidays, you have Christmas and new Year's, So you can use 80 hours of vacation and get like 20 days off. Right. Just hmm. Stuff like that. And, um, like that's how I hunted Arizona archery a bunch. And I pretty much have a cool boss is what it comes down to. And I, don't have hardly any bills. Like I aligned all my finances for that um, a few years ago. It just happened to work out really well once I wanted to start big game hunting, but I didn't have any more bills. Mm-hmm. Um, so like I can take time off unpaid as long as my boss is cool with it. Um, I just kind of mix and match vacation. Sometimes I'm sick. Sometimes I'm <laughs> unpaid. Right. And, yeah. but I never like, I don't fake anything. I just tell my boss, I'm like, dude, can I take this time off? He's like, yeah, that's fine. And yeah. then I just go from there. It's yeah. mostly because I have a cool boss. Right. Yeah. So you mentioned even the financial side, like you're younger guy, I'm assuming like, are you single, no kids or what does that look like from a family perspective? Um, yeah. Single, no kids. I, yeah. So you're just living yeah. it up, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that is my goal regardless. Right. Um, but I, yeah, you definitely can't be near as selfish, you know, once you start getting into that stage of life. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's something that's different about like your experience, whereas, you know, where I come from, where Steve comes from, and honestly, where a ton of our listeners come from is 
I would say most guys, you know, uh, don't have as much flexibility, do have a family and all that, which isn't, you know, like everybody's going to be a different stage of life and have different priorities. And there's, there's not necessarily, I'm saying there's not like a right or wrong, but people are in a different perspective. But I do find it unique to talk with someone like you who can string together that much time uh, in the field and then especially pair that time you have spent a lot of time quickly with being newer to big game hunting that's what i thought was like a really interesting mix to dive into um was it when your buddies like pulled you on that montana hunt 2018 that you know combo deer elk like what was your mindset going into that because this is obviously that's how everything kind of started in terms of big game hunting were you super stoked for the opportunity did you not know what you're getting into i mean at that point being new to big game hunting just like, like take me back to your mindset and expectations for that. I'm super open-minded. Um, and like we did like a seven day pack in trip to the back country of Montana. And I pretty much just, I mean, like I've been outdoors my whole life and stuff. So the only difference was now I'm carrying everything on my back and, you know, sleeping in a tent. Right. And, mm-hmm. uh, so like, of course I researched a bunch. I shot my bow for, you know, eight months before we went, um, all kinds of stuff like that. But then as the actual hunt goes, it's like, well, I don't really know what to expect, you know? And then we see elk and then pretty soon we're in bugles. And it was like, it was, so that was awesome. That was the actual first hunt. And then we didn't kill anything and then followed up with the, um, the deer hunt in November. And that's when I got my first buck. Yeah. And did you feel like, like right away killing that first buck, like get connected and you just like, yeah, I gotta, I gotta start getting more into big game hunting or was that kind of still like an evolution from that moment? Oh no, 100%. Like I, when I, when I killed that buck, even almost before that, just doing the hunting, I was like, yeah, this, yeah. I like this. Um, and then I killed that buck, but then I also realized like, dude, to, to be proficient at this is going to take a lot of time and effort. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not just a a one weekend a year. I mean, you can kill something if you go one weekend a year, but I wanted to be like really proficient and versed in like all the different types of big game hunting. Like as soon as that, that season was over, I was just researching. Yeah. Where does that come? Is that just your personality? Like in general, you're just like, if you get into something, you're a thousand percent in, is that just, you know, kind of who you are? Or was there something unique about hunting that made you that way? No, that's kind of who I am. But now I don't, yeah. Like I just started reloading and that's been a, the same exact thing, dude. Like that's just, yeah, it's all or nothing pretty much. I don't really like half-assing anything. I just won't do it if I won't put in the effort to be good at it. Right. So going from that hunt, that was November of 2018, you're like heading right into from November, you're heading right into like this time of year in December, you know, the off season, you've got to start looking at like getting tags for next year, all that stuff, like being new to big game hunting, new to all the different opportunities out West, like so many guys get overwhelmed with understanding the different states and the rules for getting tags and when draws are and what's a draw and what's not and what's a point and what isn't and just how the whole game works um, with so many different states having different processes and rules. How did you navigate that in terms of, 
you know, call it the end of 2018 going, yeah, I know I want to hunt a lot more in 2019. Like how do I string together those opportunities? How do I get tags? What was helpful for you in that? Oh, it was pretty much 100% go hunt. And then my own research, like after I would see something on go hunt, you know, and then like they have the odds and then for the draws and stuff, but then I would research the general tags, like on the state websites and stuff like that. I, yeah, I did everything myself. Like I didn't really ask any questions like but once my buddies took me hunting for the first time i pretty much just took everything upon myself to do all my own research and it's fairly easy once it takes a minute to figure it out that some states have points some don't some just have percentages um some states have a lot of general tags some don't but i mean after you spend 20 hours on go hunt and just researching each individual state that it all comes together pretty quickly. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Like the guys still get overwhelmed now who are new to it. And I get that, but at the same time, it's so much easier now than it was even five or definitely 10 years ago. Uh, when you didn't have go hunt, you didn't have Onyx. like the, the amount of resources out there now is definitely a game changer for guys who are, um, navigating all that for sure. Yeah. And I've never experienced that part of it, but I've thought about it. Like while I'm doing all this online research and looking at maps on my computer, I'm like, I don't know if I would have, well, I probably would have done it a few years ago, um, but it would have been way more difficult. Yeah. Definitely not as effectively as just pulling up a state and all the hunt dates and going, okay, well, I can only get those tags. Like I can only get second season Colorado because that's the only opening I have. Right. Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. Mm Mm-hmm. You mentioned archery earlier um, before that first Montana hunt. And then I know you hunt a ton with a rifle. So to this day, do you still do both? Have you kind of settled on rifle hunting or what's that looked like for you? Oh, no, I still do both. I just can't kill anything with my bow. (laughs) 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 So I killed. um, I no, I actually love archery. Same thing. Like I totally nerd out, build my own arrows and all that stuff. Um, Gotcha. But yeah, I I killed a cow elk last year with my bow and I killed a javelina in Arizona this year. I was, you know, I was doing the rut archery deer hunt, um, Mm -hmm. but I I still, I got a javelina. Um, And then I'm going to go back to Arizona archery hunting. And I spent two weeks archery hunting California. I just, I just don't have anything quite to show for it yet. Um, A lot of close encounters and it makes me damn proficient with a rifle. I know that much. Yeah. Yeah. It is different. I mean, that's something I think I've overlooked in some contexts. Um, like the, the bull I killed this year with my rifle. If I look back at how that played out and thought about what to me was like instinct, call it second nature of like moves that Steve and I were going through and making plays. Like I realized that, 90% of that in terms of what led to me getting the shot opportunity with my rifle was all skills, knowledge, experience from bow hunting that it's like, man, if I didn't have that and was just a rifle hunter, I don't think I would have killed that bull or even, you know, gotten an opportunity to kill him. Um, So it's kind of cool how that comes together where, yeah, even when you are rifle hunting, if you have bow hunting background and experience, like they feed off of each other for sure. I don't think it's a, 
you know, it shouldn't be anyway like an either or thing, but like when you can do both, they're going to connect together in a way that's going to make both more effective for you. For sure, dude. Yeah. Archery definitely makes you a better rifle hunter. Like there's, there's no way around it. It's, it's way too methodical. And then you just take all those skills. And when you go with a rifle, that's, uh, stuff's in trouble. Like that's, <laughs> But also, this there everything's way harder to find too. It's yeah, it's kind of it's definitely. I don't want to say rifle hunting's easier because the animals like dude during archery season, I'm turning up bucks all the time. During mm-hmm. rifle season, you're lucky to see one. Um, it, you know, at least how I'm hunting and the units I'm hunting. Um, but then you know, then when you do turn one up, even if you got to cut distance, you're thinking about wind. You're thinking about where you're going to be able to see where they're going to bed. Like it's just so much stuff relates from archery to rifle for sure. Yeah. Cool. Um, so 2018, you had that hunt Montana 2019. Like, I'm just curious, what was your next, essentially you fill that tag at end of no- 2018, November, you have this whole off season planning all that. Like what was your next big game, successful big game hunt in 2019 then? So my very next one, that was, that was my archery elk, archery cow elk. That was that cow you got with your bow? Yep. Cool. And so that was in September? Yes, that was in September. Yeah. And then I had already hunted for like 15 days during archery season in California. Uh-huh. And um, had a really close call on a big buck but I ended up not killing anything. And then the second weekend of rifle season, I had turned up this huge buck for California. He's huge. And the unit I'm in. Um, and I went over there and killed him. Like there's quite a bit of a backstory. He was like two miles away. I didn't even see where he went. And I just made the hike, ended up turning him up in his bed. And like when I glassed that buck in his bed, like after all that effort, right. And I was just on the mountain above them, way above them. And that was like the, the turning point that I love hunting mule deer, right? Like mm. not when I killed them, but when I saw them mm. and then that was definitely the biggest, probably like harvest of my, like to get into hunting yeah. that, that did it for me. Just the way it went down. You just connected with it. Yeah. And just all the effort. And then like it finally paid off. And then like I didn't luck into him. I didn't like stumble into a buck and shoot him. You know, I that's a different feeling because I've done that also. Yeah. Um, but like I went over there and found him. And then he was unaware that I was, you know, anywhere in the vicinity. And I was just watching him in his bed like setting up all my stuff it was just it was so surreal because i'd never had anything like that up until that point yeah yeah the chess match comes together like you you feel like you're truly kind of playing things well outsmarting the game a bit and like you said just not looking into it exactly yeah you're i feel like that was actually hunting um the rest of the stuff was almost just walking around in the woods um you know hoping for an opportunity but when I learned that you can create them, that's when it really like clicked for me. Yeah, it's it's a like an interesting point. Something that I've 
thought through so many times is like if I boil everything down and guys talk about like trophy hunting and not trophy hunting and you know whatever to me like the most important thing is just like the experience so like I could you know kill a really small buck in a way where I felt like I earned it or you know things came together or what have you and that's totally different than lucking into like killing a giant right and uh-huh. I'm not saying I wouldn't you know, I'm not looking down on anybody who looks into something. As you said, you've been there. I've been there. That's part of hunting. Like just being out there and putting yourself in the right place at the right time. Like sometimes things just happen. Um, and that's great. But like if a, if a hunt goes down in just a really cool way where it's like the experience of how it leads up to you killing that animal is to me, like more valuable than maybe what that animal is, right? So if it's a tiny buck or a bull, but like a really cool story type thing, then I'm all for it, man. Yeah. And I, I had that a hundred percent this year. Um, like I'd been watching, I scout a lot, um, California cause I live here. So like I had been watching several like 150 inch bucks, which those, these are big bucks for where for where I'm at. Right. And, uh, several of them, like I got pictures of them, phone scope footage come archery season. I had one buck that was just a stud and I didn't want to archery hunt them. I, cause I've heard that you can kill them with a rifle in the same vicinity that they don't go anywhere. Right. Did so you not I, want to archery hunt them just cause you didn't want to pressure them, like push them out. Exactly. Okay. Yep. I wanted to prove the, um, like the theory to myself. And if I would have went in there, archery hunted them and blown them out and then not been able to turn them up during rifle season, I would have blamed it on that. Right. Um, so I found this buck and he wasn't in a very great archery spot to begin with is also what had to do with it. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I found this buck, he's big. And, uh, I even find him during archery season. I'm just watching him and I left him completely alone because I had some other bucks in more killable terrain that I wanted to focus on. So all throughout archery season, I'm, I can't turn up anything and I'm just thinking, well, it's no big deal because I got this big buck in my back pocket. Right. And, uh, so archery season goes by, I don't kill anything. Rifle opening weekend comes. I've already tried to tried to find this buck for two weeks prior to rifle opener and I can't find him now. And I was like, okay, great. So I still can't find him on opening weekend and the sunday after the opener is this crazy wind storm dude i mean like 60 mile an hour winds blowing through the mountains and i'm like well i'll just still hunt through this timber i mean their senses are basically going to be shut off right like trees are moving they can't hear they can't smell basically as long as i'm above them and so I just decided to start still hunting through this t- timber in his general vicinity. Right. And I come over this lava rock. I was expecting to look for bedded bucks. Cause it was like 10 o'clock, right. I'm just cruising through looking for bedded bucks in the shade. And I come over this lava rock and there is a fork and horn standing, not more than 15 feet in front of me feeding and had absolutely no idea I was there. And, uh, like I'd been watching these huge bucks all year thinking that that's what I'm going to kill. 
And I couldn't even control myself when that, when I walked up on that fork and horn, it was like, it was so weird, dude. Like it was like somebody else put, put my gun up and shot him. Uh, it wasn't even a thought. Like if I would have glassed that buck from 500 yards away, I would have been like, Oh, sweet, cool buck, but I'm not going to shoot him. But when I walked up on him and I was intentionally still hunting, like very quiet, moving very slow. And yep. I just walked right up on him. And he's still feeding at 15 yards. He didn't look at me or anything. Um, I mean, at 15 feet, he was like five yards. And uh, yeah, that was like a super cool moment on a very small buck. And I'll never forget it, you mm -hmm. know. And yeah. I did I did shoot him. Yeah, nice. So uh, this is like a... So translate what we've just been talking about with like how the experience goes down and what leads up to killing a buck and not just call it the quality of the buck by that i mean age or you know antler size or what have you being a newer hunter and apologize if i'm like stereotyping but being a younger guy and i know you're on social like that's how i saw you one thing i've always like wrestled with is just photos don't tell the story right and especially as it comes to hunting especially when it comes to social media and how quick that story is or lack of story how quick that photo is seen and judged or perceived without any context right so you post a photo of this forky essentially that you shot and it has a super cool story behind it and to you a, you know like a very valuable experience and something that you cherish right but the photo can just show you know here's steve and he shot this buck and it's whatever it's a small buck mm -hmm. right like right. that's there's such a disconnect there between social media and call it a, a quote unquote trophy photo, regardless of what mm -hmm. the animal is and like the story that led up to that and what that truly means to you. So like, how do you like as someone who's on social and participates in that, like, do you feel that? Do you think through that? Or is that just something that is rambling through my brain all the time? I don't I don't know, man. I don't. I really like years ago, I really quit caring about other people's opinions of like things that I do. Mm -hmm. Right. So that helps a lot. Um, so like I am definitely out there for myself and then I share it and people can like it or not like it. Um, but another thing too, is like, I'm, I'm trophy like experience hunting. Right. I do like killing big bucks and I passed on a lot of bucks this year that I didn't, you know, want to kill that weren't very big. Um, not that I killed giants, but I mean, I still passed on quite a few smaller bucks. Um, but yeah, I just, I don't know, man, I'm out there for the experience. And if it trips my trigger, I'm, I'm going to try to kill it. And then, um, I mean, I could, not that I would ever try to explain myself why I have this fork and horn after, you know, posting giant bucks for four months straight. Right. And then kill mm -hmm. this fork and horn. I would never try to explain myself, but I would give like some um, depth to the story, you know? Okay. Right. Yeah. I would just, you know, I was still hunting and walked up on this fork and horn and it was awesome. So yeah. I just capitalized on the opportunity, you know, yeah. cool, but never like, Oh, I know he's not the biggest buck. <laughs> yeah like set up like 
a reason you shot him and like right, kind right. of like apologize for doing it almost yeah exactly yeah i'm definitely not gonna apologize um yeah. but i do like to give some context because like i killed that buck because the experience was awesome right yeah um yeah it's cool I didn't, no i like that man i was just curious because yeah. like you're like personally i just i'm with you i just flat out don't care and i just don't do social media really much personally at all so i mm-hmm. just like i'm not in that game but i was curious of you since i'd seen you on social and like you do share your experience like how you felt about that um so that's a it's a cool good perspective to hear um and you know even for me like when stuff does pop up on social media and it's like a picture of a giant buck from someone I don't know, like I I could generally not care. Right. And Mm -hmm. it's not because like there's no jealousy, there's no nothing. It's just to me, it's like the animal itself isn't like what's valuable. So like it's the story and it's the experience. And I just don't feel like social media is a good place to connect with that story and experience. I think there's some people who are doing it well. Right. And it's just not the way I personally like choose to, consume or interact with like that story or that experience like if it's someone i know you know i'm super stoked i want to hear the story i'll call them i'll text them blah 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 blah. it's just like social media in particular i just you know whatever i don't care i was just yeah you know again and i'm probably being sound like a curmudgeon old man even though i'm only in my mid-30s but you being a younger guy and being on social more i was just like curious what your experience was with that yeah yeah i definitely like i appreciate seeing big bucks right and then like on, you know, people, they're gripping grins, right? These huge bucks. But then what I really like is when they have like the backstory to it. Um, so like someone will, you know, they'll kill a huge buck and then they'll actually have videos and footage of it from like the last three years that they've been chasing it. And then yeah. like, that's what I like the most, right? For it's sure. not even, it's not even the huge buck. It's like the effort that they put in behind it. Yep. Yeah, because like I just yeah, the the big buck doesn't really do it for me. Social media kind of ruined that. It's like okay, cool, everyone kills two hundred inch deer. If all you do is <laughs> right. look at Instagram. Um, yeah, but the backstory is what I really like uh, to to like see and hear about. Yeah, cool, man. So with you um, spending so much time in the field, how do you like? Because I think you said one hundred fifty plus days. That's between like 2019, 2020, Like your hunting season's there. Is that about right? yeah yeah how do you just like stay in it you know like mentally or when things aren't going your way um because it's funny like you're spending 150 days in the field and i know what it's like to be on just one call it like eight day hunt and like by day four or five if things suck you like you're like this is stupid you know right (laughs) like you start Mm -hmm. getting down on yourself so extrapolate that to like multiple hunts multiple states whatever like just kind of the mental grind of staying in it and what you've learned about that because i know that for two and this is kind of a separate topic but definitely related like part of this for you is solo hunting so whether it's the long season just being on your own dealing with setbacks whatever like just tell us about that and like how you stay in it essentially through all that yeah it is a definitely a mental grind um and then, I mean, you kind of have to take like a break from it. Um, I, I do, yeah, solo hunt a bunch. Um, but my trips aren't like super long. Um, cause like, dude, it's, it is tough in California, man. You might see one or two bucks in like five days. So those are the trips that really, they really wear on you. Um, you can hunt 
at any length of time if you're seeing game all over the place yeah. and that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, on the tough hunts, I just keep them shorter, dude, like uh, four days, right? Four days, give it a few days off and then go back. Um, I do, I guess I have like a few longer hunts, but they're normally the, the more productive ones, like my out-of-state hunts and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but in California, since I live right there, I'll just do like four days because um, it is just it's mentally draining and you just constantly have to tell yourself to man up and like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a constant like internal battle. Like, dude, should I go home? No. It's like, you have enough shit for five days. You're staying for five days. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It does not hurt to just to, instead of doing nine straight days, do four days, come home for one, do four days again. It's a three hour drive. Like it, it's not going to kill you. Yeah. Yeah, that's what, you know, for the out-of-state hunts when you don't have a choice, you know, you drive to Idaho or whatever and maybe you have a week is remember that. Like when you're on day four, day five of a hunt and you have seven or eight days to hunt and you don't have this opportunity to like, you know, drive home and come back and next week, right? Like this is an out-of-state hunt. Remember that. Like as soon as you get home within a day or two, you're gonna be like, man, I wish I was back there, right? Like that's something I've always fallen back on is you look forward to this hunt for a whole year in many cases. And yeah, you get to day four or five and things aren't going your way or it's tough or whatever. But it's like, if you have that eight days to hunt, you better stick that sucker out if you can't come back. Because as soon as you get home, a lot of times before you even get home, if you have a long drive, you're like kicking yourself, you know, if you ever quit early. Oh, dude, a hundred percent. Yeah, it's, it's right when you get back to the truck, like yeah. it's it, halfway down the mountain. You're like, dude, what am I doing? Like, yeah, I've, I've been thinking about this all year. Um, for sure. Yeah. On the out of state hunts. Yeah. I grind it out pretty good. Um, I last year in Montana, I was there for like 15 days. Um, yeah, 10 days by myself. And then my buddy flew in and then we hunted for him. So like during that 10 day stretch where I was there solo, um, I got super sick one day and then like I could have stayed up there on the mountain, but I was like, dude, this isn't even worth it. Like, so what all I did was I took the next day off and I just drove the whole unit. Like I didn't, you just, I'm still learning. I guess I'm not mm-hmm. necessarily hunting, but I drove the whole unit, learned um, just like the different terrain. And then I ended up hunting the different half of the unit because I drove over there and it looked super cool. Right. Yeah. Um, yep. So it's something like that. You don't necessarily have to, like quit just go do something break yes yeah just take a break and it was yeah that was all i needed and then i was good for another five days you know yeah no that's a perfect example man of yeah say you have eight days to hunt but you're just burned out on day four it's like maybe get off the mountain but like you said drive around if nothing else you might find a spot you might run into somebody and get some intel i mean all that stuff's valuable i mean it actually during one of my archery hunts this past year, we uh, we were moving between spots, essentially. And uh, so we packed back to the truck, and there were some guys at the truck, and we got to talking to them, and they were kind of chatting our ears off. And at first, I was like, man, I just, like, I'm here to hunt. Like, I don't want to sit around and BS, you know? Like, I would just mm-hmm. want to, we were planning on moving to a spot. Let's get to the spot. But then it was kind of like, I had to tell myself, it's like, no, nah, man, we've been we had been hitting it hard for like four or five days. I was like, let's just hang here and chill and, you know, take, even if it's an hour, right. Two hours. Yeah. 
just take a little break. And uh, so we kind of hung out with those guys and they were super nice. And we ended up like they were grilling us burgers and we hadn't had real food in four or five days. It was awesome. Um, but then like they ended up getting us some good Intel too, after talking with them for, you know, an hour and a half, two hours. So it's like, even the little things like that, I'm so like, I feel a lot of times I feel bad if I'm just feel like I'm wasting time, right? Like, why am I sitting at the truck, you know, even for an hour when we should be just driving to the next spot we're planning on going to and hunting. Right. But sometimes you're slowing down and like relax a little bit. (laughs) If you have been hunting hard, like turns into a good little break get you rejuvenated and in this plate in this instance it also like connected with some cool guys that gave us some good intel so you just you just never know with stuff like that yeah did to- i have a very similar mindset to where like if i am being stagnant i'm like this is this isn't helping my odds at least that's my thought you know right. like if i am not in the field i am not going to be successful like that's all there is to it um but it can kind of come back full circle like taking that break or talking to those guys. I've had the same thing, like where you you're talking to a local, they love talking. Like if you get on um, like the older locals that like, can't, they can't really do that. Those hard hunts anymore. Exactly. Way back in there. Yeah. But then you start talking to them. You're like, yeah, I'm headed back in there. And they're like, Oh, I used to hunt back in there. That stuff can pay off big time. (laughs) Yeah. That's exactly what happened with these guys is they had been hunting this area for like 20 plus years and, you know, they're looking at us being much younger and probably much dumber. And they, that's legit what happened. They're like, you know, here's, I used to hunt back here. I can't get up there anymore. Like you guys, you know, you're nice guys. We've been talking to you for a bit. You look capable. Like if you want to, this is a whole hike, but go back here and you'll get into some elk. And it was exactly what you said. It was like, he legit knows he can't do it anymore. Um, he knows it's a good spot. And after meeting us, hanging out with us, he was like happy to share some intel because he's passing on, you know, like that experience. I think, uh, gosh, if I remember right, he was like, yeah, I killed a bull back there in 87, you know, it was like that type uh-huh. of deal. Yeah. As soon as he learned, like through talking to you guys, that you guys were going to put in the effort, um, that's when he was like, okay, yeah, <laughs> I'll, I'll give him some info. Yep, exactly. Cool. Yeah. So another thing, uh, just kind of keeping in the realm of spending so much time in the field and then again, pairing this with being newer to big game hunting, what have you learned with gear? Um, and this can be specific items like that do or don't work or things that have saved your butt or maybe failed or just like from a super high level, you go from being a waterfowl hunter to now hunting big game. Now, as you said, kind of doing the backcountry thing, like backpacking, all that stuff, and then doing so much time essentially in the field with gear. Like what are some, I know it's a super broad question, but like what are some standouts to hit? Yeah, I definitely mess with gear a lot. Um, Some standouts. So, well, for one, optics are basically everything. Um, I do everything off, off a tripod. That is like, that's probably my number one thing. Um, now, like, it took a while to learn, but I focus a lot on my optics and glassing. Um, so last year, I bought the eighteen by fifty six Vortex UHDs, mm-hmm. um, and those were worth their weight in gold. Um, I spotted so much more game with the higher power binos than the tens. Um, it was, it was ridiculous. Like now I can't go anywhere without them, 
but I also sold them and bought the Swarovski 15s. Um, so like I did like the UHDs were badass, but I still did a little bit of an upgrade by going to Swarovski. Once I learned how important those higher power binos are. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was like a huge change. Like, you know, I'm talking, you're talking an extra two pounds, like everywhere you go. Yeah. Um, Cause I'm big on weight too. Um, so that was like, that was the biggest weight change for me was adding those binoculars. And definitely I, if I like left the house and forgot them, I would almost have to just turn around and go back. <laughs> um, that um, all my gear, I'd say one thing that I've found that I love, my buddy actually um, found it is uh, it's like a small teepee tent made by uh, six moons designs. It's like a backpacking company. Yep. Um, dude, and it's called a Lunar Solo. That is by far the best solo tent. Dude, I haven't found anything that even compares to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it weighs like a pound, and you pitch it with one trekking pole so you can still have your other trekking pole with you. Um, that thing has been awesome. And because, like, everyone's weight conscious, and any tent with poles is going to be more than a pound. <laughs> right, right. And then, and a bivy sack's like 13 ounces, or you can have a full tent that you could sit up in for a pound. It's, it was a no brainer for me. Mm. Um, but else for gear. I mean, I switched to peak refuels instead of mountain houses. Those have been way better. <laughs> Much more friendly <laughs> on your gut probably after that. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I've liked those for sure. Some other super important gear. It's one thing that I found this year. So me, I, I took a buddy on his first backcountry hunt in Idaho. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to Idaho for deer and this is his first hunt, right? I've done it quite a bit at this point. And we go down to this little spring to fill up on water. Right. And I'm testing out a new Steri pen. Um, I normally use like the Sawyer squeeze, um, mm-hmm. but this time I got a Steri pen. Cause when it's cold, the, the squeeze sucks, right? Your hands are freezing and you're still trying to squeeze water. Um, and my buddy, it's like, we drop down to fill up everything. And my buddy pulls out this platypus gravity filter system. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, dude, that thing's going to take forever, right? Like, because I've messed with them a little bit. And uh, so he's like, well, I'll just get it started while you're doing that. Dude, that thing was ridiculous. It would filter four liters of water in like three minutes. Um, it it was badass. I bought one as soon as we got home. And I had been like <laughs> big time anti-gravity filter because they take so long. Yeah. Um, so that was like a super cool thing that that somebody brand new showed me. Um, so yeah. I definitely ordered that thing because filtering water is always a pain in the ass. And that thing, you fill up a dirty bladder, right? You throw four liters in it. You don't even have to stay at the water source. You can just throw four liters in it, throw it in your pack and then haul it up to camp and then hang it and then fill up the clean bladder and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was something super cool that I found this year Yeah, because That's- of him. It's funny, water filters like one area where I, most of the time I always just come back to Sawyer Squeeze for simplicity, but I still am never like fully satisfied because I've tried those gravity setups too. Mm-hmm. Um, what I found is they work great, one, when they're new, just because the flow mm-hmm. rate's great, but like anything else, they can get clogged and they will slow down. And then two, it's like the bigger 
dirty bags for those in certain situations are difficult, either difficult to fill or you almost have mm-hmm. to like pre-filter them if you are dealing with a crappy source. Um, in general, gotcha. they're nice. So it's like, it's it, it's just funny because one of those things I'm like, God, a SteriPen has these benefits, but these drawbacks. A Squeeze has these benefits, but these drawbacks. The gro- you know, the gravity, it's like one of those, man, I just I'm not like, there's, I feel like there has to be something better still. Yeah, uh, I definitely like I, it's it's a lot easier if you know what your water source is going to be. Like if you've been in there sure. before, like this spring. So like I know this spring exists in there now. Yep. So like it's super easy to fill up a big dirty bladder, not fill it's it clean. Full of mud. It's flowing. Right. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. then if it's not the like a pump where it's like a flat filter face, you can throw a pump and like a more shallow um, water source. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just stuff like that. It definitely helps if you've been in the area before, if not, you better bring something that's the most versatile because, yeah. uh, the big, a, a four liter gravity filter isn't going to work very well. If you're getting water, like out of a mud hole, you're yeah. going to be able to filter at one time. Yep. Or another good thing I've done in the past too, is if you're hunting with a buddy, um, have different styles of filters, right? Like if buddy mm-hmm. has a pump or a stereo pin, bring your squeeze or like in this instance, if you had your squeeze, your buddy had the gravity filter, like that way you're just covering your bases more. And, you know, worst case scenario, it's like, well, my filter sucks for this scenario, but let's use yours. You know, you can always split it up. That's nice. Yeah. That's yeah. That's a great idea. That's exactly how it was. It just wasn't an intentional, but it worked out perfect. Um, so that, yeah, going into the future, I would definitely do that. Like, dude, I have this gravity, bring your pump or whatever. Yeah. Um, and the Sawyers are su- the squeeze is super cool, but I've had those bags blow up on me like a dozen times. I keep like four of them in my pack. So it's like, what's the yeah. point of this lightweight filter if I just have to carry five extra bags? <laughs> like, yeah, the Sawyer brand bags are terrible. Um, what we usually do is get the extra platypus. They sell either like one liter, two liter, you know, they're soft collapsible bottles. And we just okay. will designate one of those as a dirty bag and use okay. it with the Sawyer. Um, the Platypus brand ones will... I finally uh, got a leak in my first one this year that was probably eight or nine years old. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, they're much more durable. Um, so yeah, we just... The, yeah, the Sawyer bags don't, don't count on it. What I do with those, I'll keep one um, with me. I cut the top off um, all the way across the top, not just like the mm-hmm. cap part, but basically the full width uh, of the bag, I'll just cut that off, and okay. I carry that basically as a scoop. So if I'm at, I find myself in a situation where I can't get any running water or really bad water source, and it's hard to fill up something, um, you know, like a, a platypus bag with the little um, cap opening. Yeah, yeah. I'll just basically have that Sawyer bag cut with this nice big opening, and use that as a scoop, and then I can always pour, you know, dirty water into the platypus or what have you. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, I'll definitely be stealing that one also yeah because uh, that's come in handy a lot they suck for everything else so <laughs> right right so yeah that's i mean i think that's kind of like the main stuff i'd um other than that i use like this my backcountry kit is pretty simple dude it's the same thing every time i walk out the door other than if yeah. it's really cold i bring a heavier sleeping bag and then i got a heated tent this year a tp and a stove oh yeah um, what's your experience with that been or still getting used to it No, I'm pretty much used to it now. Um, It's been awesome, dude. Like, um, aside from the weight, but you split it between two guys, it's not that bad. And it is like a game changer for the cold season hunts to just, I mean, you can get freaking beat up all day 
but know that you're going to be warm and you're going to be able to dry your stuff out. And it's, it doesn't wear on you near as bad mentally, like throughout the hunt. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's been pretty simple. I mean, uh, I just got the seek outside set up and I love it, dude. It's, it's been great. I did it. I took it in Idaho, me and my buddy both took it. And then I took it solo to New Mexico. So, I mean, it's like six pounds, but still it, it's worth it. If you're, if it's going to be cold. Um, yeah. Cause it's just, a, you know, it's a one trip thing. You just, you have it on your back on the way in and then you set it up. Um, I, I moved camp, but still it's, um, it's not like you have 65 pounds on your back the whole time. It's just, you know, it's right. a one shot deal. It sucks, but it's worth it when you have it at night. Mm -hmm. And cool. then, and then me and my buddy just took it to Montana also. And that was, that was a super cold late season hunt. It was like single digits, super windy. Um, and it was sweet at night you just get that thing going and we let it go out in the middle of the night, but it's nice when you're just eating dinner and then all your clothes are dry and stuff. Right. That's you mentioned awesome. uh obviously hunting in california where you live i've heard you in, in passing like mention idaho new mexico arizona um probably some other states i'm missing but in terms of non-resident stuff like if you had to and i almost hate these questions because i feel like they're not fair when you say if you had to pick one because you don't want to pick one you want them all but like what's right. a standout hunt to you like Western hunt that it's like, yeah, man, every year I for sure want to go do what? Uh, every year will, will be as much as I don't want everybody else going there. Every year will be rutting bucks in Montana. Okay, cool. Yeah. There is no question or rutting bucks anywhere. Like it's, yeah. <laughs> it's so fun. Like, like the Arizona archery, like I'm going to go do that also. Yeah. Um, Cause they just rut later down there, but any chance you get to hunt rutting bucks, it is, so fun um to watch them and they're just cruising country and normally it's snowy like you're hunting in the snow which is also more fun um way easier to glass and stuff that one like i will not miss that one ever yeah. cool awesome. yeah um this is like completely uh personal just selfish question totally change of gears from mule deer but you did an odd ad hunt this year tell me about that yeah so that was that was my buddy's idea and he's the one that got me into hunting and so like whenever he brings something up i'm like let's go um so that was his idea i had no like forethought to go do it or anything so was this uh, uh, we do a west diy texas? yeah west texas it was a diy hunt um, so basically he just sends you the, um, the property boundaries, like in an, in an onyx map, basically. And, uh, that's where you stay, you know, you just have to stay in those boundaries. And I think it was like 5,000 acres. Um, and so like, we just roll out there, like nobody ever showed up or anything. It was just us on 5,000 acres looking for Audad. And, uh, it was, it was a brutal hunt. Like, it was super tough. Like, cause I was kind of half-ass expecting like when you, just anytime you pay for something, <laughs> yeah. it's just something in your mind that you think that the game are just automatically there wanting to be shot. I don't right. know like what it is. <laughs> and uh, So we show up there, we can't even turn any up for the first day and a half. Um, then we end up turning them up and they're, they're in the cliffs and dude, it was, it was so awesome. I told him that's probably like the only hunt that I'll probably 
for the next few years that I'll pay to go do because for one, you almost have to, yeah. um, to pay for it unless you draw it, um, in New Mexico. And, um, and it was a blast dude. If, if everyone will talk shit because I'm like, I felt like sheep hunting, but it really did. I'm like, it was like sheep hunting for $30,000 less than yeah. going sheep hunting. I right. mean, yeah, you're in the desert and it's like these huge jagged rocks and deep canyons, like those, um, almost like sheet rock, like type material deep in those canyons, like those white rocks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the terrain was awesome. The animals were super cool to hunt and glass. You don't get to look at, um, just kind of different animals like that too often. I, I loved it, dude. Um, I would definitely do it again. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason I've like, just it's been on my mind for the last year plus of a hunt I wanted to do and it's the same way with me it's like gosh I hate paying for stuff but like there's very limited opportunity to hunt all dad without doing you know what you did like pay to get access to land obviously there's guided hunts but um even for a do-it-yourself hunt as you said you gotta like pay and get access in most places um and yeah, just the country's cool. They're different animals, like tough to glass. Uh, I don't know. There's something about it, man. It's just been on my mind, so I had to hear about it. Yeah, I would do it, dude. I, I would do it. Yeah, we did DIY. It's so much cheaper, dude. Like the guided hunts, you might kill a bigger ram because, you know, they're probably on better ranches. Yeah. Um, but I don't. I just don't like paying for a guide. Like I, I could. I can look through my binoculars pretty good. You're paying for that, their knowledge of the area, basically. Right. Um, but I'll save four grand and, you know, learn it myself. I, I'm not hard. there to kill. Yeah. yeah. I'm not there to kill a 30 inch ram. I'm there to kill an odd ad, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want to find them. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't regret not paying for like a guided thing or anything like that. I was totally cool with my 22 inch ram and the experience and then not breaking the bank yeah nice what's uh hit on rifle setup man i said um you know before you had sent me like a bunch of stuff on you know from your hunts and stuff and um yeah just touch on rifle i mean we talked about you do both archery and rifle but it looks like the rifle you've been using is has been you know putting in putting down a lot of critters and had a lot of work so what's your setup and then you said you just started reloading as well right yeah yeah so uh all of last year i was using a six five creedmoor um and i took four bucks um and a couple other things i killed my odd with it but it was just it was not cutting it for me like it it will kill but it doesn't have like knockdown power um like i want right so i decided to get a gun built and i had um hell's canyon armory build me a gun out of idaho Mm -hmm. um the dude's super cool um and it's a 28 nozzler and it's just like a full custom gun um carbon fiber stock and barrel and it is it's like lightweight enough but you can't really you don't want to build a real long range rifle at seven pounds like they're just they're not very shootable um so my gun is nine pounds scoped. Um, and it's, to me, it's like the perfect weight. And that thing has been a freaking hammer. Like I have no regrets up bumping up from the six, five to a 28 nozzler. Um, yeah. And I have 
I, you know, I have a dialable scope, like a Leopold Variac six and I always run the turrets and stuff. And, um, yeah, I shot, I shot 195 burgers most of the season, um, except for California. And those were great too. And then, yeah, I mean, pretty much, yeah, I didn't, I never missed an animal and every buck was dead right there. Um, and then my elk, I shot them twice, but I didn't need to, they, those things are tough. I, mm-hmm. um, I'd never shot one before and I was like, wow, he's still standing right there. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I was like, I was kind of blown away. Um, and yeah, so that gun has been so badass, dude. And then, so i looked into more like some monolithic or mono metal rounds um just recently i mean like two weeks ago because i wanted to which start that's reloading. i mean that's a requirement in california right right yeah but you can buy them over the right. counter like a barnes um, or something exactly but i wanted to look in i reloaded my 195s um but i wanted to look into reloading some mono metal getting you know just getting more out of them because i'm not a fan of them um and i found a company called hammer bullets Oh yeah, we've had um, and they have like from Hammer on the podcast. Oh okay, yeah. yeah. So I actually called that dude. And I talked to him. He was super cool. He's um, super nice. So yeah. I found him, and I really like the bullet, um, like design. Not not physically, but the characteristics of how it acted. Yeah. Because um, I went to a burger because I want like I want shock right. So it has like violent expansion, and the shock is what kills everything in place. It's not really you don't just shoot them through the lungs and then they shut down. It's like the shock that actually shuts all their nerves down. Um, and that's what I wanted as opposed to like a bonded bullet that would have an entrance and an exit. Um, but you're pretty much always tracking for at least a small, small ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found the hammer bullets and then I like that they shed all the pedals. So those are going everywhere, but then the shank still weighs enough to cause an exit hole. Mm-hmm. Um, so I ended up going with those. This was just recently, like two weeks ago, and I reloaded them. They were super accurate. Um, 177 grains out of a one and eight twist, um, which is a pretty heavy for a mono bullet um, right. in in 284. Right. So they still went with a one and eight twist, which I have, and I shot them, and they were awesome. And then I killed a coyote with them last weekend, and they were devastating. So I should. I'll definitely be doing some testing on deer and pigs here this year, hopefully. Yeah. Or like 2021. Right. No, that's cool. Yeah. We, I found Steve uh, and the hammer bullets. Gosh, I don't even know when. I mean, I think it was early last year or early this year. I mean, or late last year. I can't remember. Um, But yeah, we had him on the podcast and I was just like, you know, same with you of like, it seems like a good balance and bullet performance. I love the idea. Again, it probably goes back to being a bow hunter, like having two holes, having an exit. Um, mm-hmm. But at the same time, also not wanting to just like, just go straight through. Like I want to leave some energy in the animal too. And it seems like a, you know, kind of a good balance there of, yes, those pedals are going to shed and like spread out some damage. Um, and then, you know, like you said, you have that shank that's going to penetrate. So, I mean, I've... Yeah, those- I shot my elk with it this year. Um, my buddy Tyler shot like 10 animals with them this year. Um, and yeah, everything we've seen thus far has been 
great in terms of terminal performance. And then, uh, dude, just loading for those is so easy. Um, guys have podcast have probably heard me talk about it, but it's like impressively easy. So to me, it's also nice just cause it's like, as much as I love reloading and love shooting and the whole process, I enjoy all of that, but I don't necessarily want to have to like have to work to struggle to like find a load. Like, yes, I enjoy the process, but I want it to be effective and not waste time. Um, and with yeah. the hammers, it's just <laughs> so dead simple to just develop a load and then just be just on the money. Yeah, that's um, for one that they're not cheap. Um, so you don't want to be shooting a hundred rounds doing seating <laughs> yeah. depths and load charges and yeah. all that stuff. Um, yeah, dude. So I, I took basically my load from my 195s. I added a half a grain to it. This is like no testing. I just added a half a grain to it because if I was going to switch to mono metal, I wanted some extra speed because I knew it was going to have a shittier BC. Um, so I just added a half a grain. I seated the bullet long. When I went to put it in my rifle, I could feel it seat into the lands. So I pulled it out. I reseated it like 50 thousandths deeper. It was clear of the lands. I don't know where it is. I just know it's not in my lands. And then I went, I loaded up five bullets. I went and shot them and I shot one fouling shot because the barrel was like perfectly clean. I just shot it off paper. And then I shot a three shot group of under an eighth of an inch, um, which is insane. It's the tightest group I've ever shot with that gun. Yeah. Um, it just looked like one bullet hole. I was like, what? This is like no load workup, no nothing. Um, and then I was like, well, I got one bullet left. So I went back to 500 yards and just kind of punched in some general ballistics. Um, and then it was a bullseye at 500. I was like, dude, this is, this is sweet. <laughs> That's funny. Sounds like such a freaking cheesy infomercial because I would say that my experience has been the same and it sounds like too good to be true. And I'm not saying, I, I don't know. I'm not saying they're perfect. I would just say that that's been my experience as well in terms of load development and like just the type of accuracy where you're like, I don't know, like that was too easy. Like I think I got lucky or something, but then it's so repeatable. It was, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. So I, I actually just last night I was prepping a bunch of brass so I can load up the rest of them. And then I probably, I honestly won't probably do that much shooting with them until, um, well, I'll do like my hunting here in California, but they're, they have the exact same point of impact as my 195. So I didn't even have to worry about that. And, um, and then all it is is different, uh, the ballistic data. I have like the Zeiss range finding binoculars and mm -hmm. I just switch, I could just switch back and forth. So it's not going to cost me a fortune to go target shoot or anything like that. Yeah, exactly. I'm the same way. Like if I'm having fun ringing steel, like just stretching distance for the heck of it, I'll shoot something else. But like you said, it's easy to, once you have, you know, your load verified with hammers and then verify, you know, drops at distance, it's like, you don't have to just shoot them for the heck of it. You can save them. And cause yeah, you said they're not, they're not cheap, but yeah, right. they've been good. Yeah. So yeah, I, I've been loving the reloading. Um, but I'm still like, I'm not going to go buy 20 guns, like long range guns and as much as I like it. Um, I also try to be realistic, like with my money and I'm like, yeah. well, I have one gun that can just, you know, pretty much do it all. So I'll just focus on something else now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's, that's, that's my gun setup. And I would, I mean, I, I bet I've, sold like five more rifles um like just people like dude what what is that gun and then well, my buddy from work just ordered one last week um, oh nice like they are 
I don't know, man. I, I don't think I could build a better, like, lightweight, long-range mountain rifle. If I'd, I mean, he pieces all the parts together anyways. He builds his own barrels, um, which are obviously very accurate. Um, and then everything else is just high-end components, you know? Yeah. What uh, what yeah. actions does he use, do you know? Uh, the Lone Peaks. Lone Peak. Okay. Yeah. Got it. He, I, mean, I think he'll build anything for you, you know, but he actually right. has like a base model, um, a base model, like, uh, like a flagship rifle that he had put together um, as like, this is the best lightweight long range rifle that I could configure. Like that's, you know, yeah. his like explanation of it. And to me it is dude. I'm like, I don't, I don't see a downfall to this thing. All I did was upgrade the action from a, from a, razor yeah lone peak razor which has like uh the remington 700 blueprint with the um the screw taps on top you mm -hmm. know where you would actually screw in a rail or something i went with the fusion which has the milled rail into yeah, the action integrated yes and it i recommend that to everybody dude get rid of those top tap screws like uh, um the having the rail milled in was so much nicer one yeah. less thing to worry about um just out in the field yeah i mean it's just one less failure point yeah and my buddies did fail in idaho his rail came loose from his action uh, really? on a different gun yep and hmm. so he ended up shooting his deer with my gun in idaho so wow. if you were back there solo that's not very convenient <laughs> yeah that's a one way to put it <laughs> yeah i mean yeah we were in there uh we were in there like nine miles like you are not gonna have a good time if you get in there and realize that your faces are loose yeah oh my scope's wobbling that's excellent yeah he pointed it out to me and i was like dude you're gonna have to shoot my gun or i would keep it under you know way under 100 yards um, yeah even then i don't know man i'd have no idea what something like that would do to a grouping yeah, I'd hesitate to shoot anything for sure. Yeah. Wow. So he ended up just swapping over to... Um, we actually turned up two bucks, bedded back-to-back. And uh, so that was super cool. Um, the I glassed them up, so I was going to kill the bigger buck. And then they were like five feet apart, but bedded facing away from each other. And the bigger buck, so my buck stood up first. I shot him and basically just dropped them. Right. So he just tumbled down the hill and they were 500 yards. So like stuff isn't as apparent to them. Right. So mm -hmm. the big buck stands are facing away from each other. I shoot and drop them. And then, so the other buck, which was still a pretty sweet buck, it's, they were both four by fours. Um, the other buck kind of just doesn't have a clue what's going on. So like, he just kind of gets up and turns around to look at his buddy and I just slid out from behind my rifle and I just told him, I said, just act like you're shooting a hundred yards. Cause it's all on the turrets. I was like, just put the crosshair on them and act like it's a hundred yards. Cause he'd never shot that far before. And he freaking smoked him. Um, and then, and then dropped him. So we had two bucks dead side by side, um, way back in the back country in Idaho. <laughs> I was going to say that was like super cool for a minute. And then you're like, Oh crap, we got to get out of here. Dude, that's it. I that's what so like it was his first hunt, and the whole time I'm explaining, I'm like, dude, it is a ton, a ton of work for like a, a small window of like extreme excitement, but the whole thing is fulfilling, like in the end. Yeah. 
there's but there's like a very small window of like high fives and dude that was crazy and then it's just all work but for some reason you want to keep doing it (laughs) there's there's some level of like amnesia involved you know it's exactly what you said like there's the moments of like yes high fives excitement and then there's a lot of terrible um suck you know especially when you're Mm -hmm. like thinking of packing out my elk this year but then like you said it's like you get done with that and it's very satisfying it's like you wanted to shoot yourself the day before when you were packing it out but now the next day you're done you're like yeah let's go do that again like that was awesome dude that i i shit you not that is exactly what it is like we're hiking out it was it was so brutal i would never plan to do something like that um but I was to, that's exactly what I told him. I was like, dude, you watch. We, we'll drop these packs at the truck. And on the way out of here, you'll be thinking about how you can do another one of these hunts. And that's exactly <laughs> what it was. He's hooked. He's hooked now. And it was the hardest hunt I've ever done. Um, and that was his first hunt. And he's still hooked. Yeah. That's cool, man. Yeah. So it's, it's I don't know what it is about it, dude, but it's it'll mess you up. <laughs> Well, that's a good way to cap it. I don't know what it's about it, but it'll mess you up. <laughs> it will. Yeah, it is. Yeah, hunting, those those difficult hunts are what? They're basically like what I seek, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've talked just, about that so much of, I don't know what it is, but like you need it. You just need that challenge. Like, I don't know. I mean, we, again, we could go off on a tangent and talk for an hour, but like in so many ways, our life is just convenient and easy and comfortable. And, but you just, you, you come alive at a different level when you're out there. Like, you're in the backcountry, you're dealing with the elements, you're dealing with challenges, and even something like a, you know, tough, heavy pack out. As much as in the moment it might suck, like in, in the end, it's good for you. And, something inside of you craves that yeah for sure yeah it's so easy to live an easy life um but then when you do something difficult you're like oh this is this is actually what i should be doing yeah yeah that's cool man that's what i seek that's what i love about the the big game hunting and the backcountry like going in solo or just going in with buddies as long as as long as i put in the effort i'm happy with whatever the outcome is yeah Perfect. For guys who want to maybe, you know, we said earlier on social, I would say contact you. I don't want you to like throw out your cell phone number, email address, but if guys want to look you up, maybe shoot you a a DM on Instagram, something like that, get in contact with you or just follow your stuff. Uh, What's the best way to do that? Uh, Yeah, my Instagram is just Steve Evans. Um, It's like double underscore, double underscore Steve, double underscore Evans, double underscore, but it's just my name. And, uh, but yeah, I always, tr- um, yeah, since I'm fairly new, I always get other people that are fairly new, like asking me stuff. Yeah. And as long as they've put in some effort on their own, I'm normally pretty helpful with helping them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Some people are a bit ridiculous. I'm like, have you looked into it at all? Like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm always happy to just talk to people about hunting. I mean, I freaking love it. So. Uh, I'm definitely down to share it. Well, that's a great way to wrap it, guys. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. As always, we appreciate your support. You can always contact us by email to podcast at exomountgear.com. If you're enjoying the show, we would love if you could leave us a review or just share this episode with a friend. And thank you for the support. We'll talk to you soon.